on. Hey, turn to somebody, give them a high five. Say, welcome to BC, man. Glad you're in the house. Come on. Amen, amen. So excited to be here this morning. Man, pumped that you are with us. Hope you all truly have had a wonderful, wonderful week coming into this morning juice for an upcoming week and how we serve the Lord and serve our community and truly serve one another. And, uh, you know, there, there is... There's a day, man, and this is our hope as a church, is, is obviously there's a day that we get to go home to be with Jesus. And man, everything, and I love this song, You Remain, everything that we've ever done for him as followers of him will be laid on a table. And then the Lord is going to put a match to that, and only what's done for him is what's stayed on that table that we get crowns, and then we lay those crowns at his feet, and just in a beautiful sense of us knowing who he is. And man, when you understand, God, this is a day, man, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to serve you. And man, everything we've done for you will last. And everything we've done for self or not you is just going to be burned up. And man, when you get that picture, man, I, I, am, I am hoping that this year, 2023, is truly a year for you. That you strive to serve the Lord and you strive uh, as we've talked about several times, we'll talk about it again this morning and just it'll be kind of be a theme for the first part of this year is that what is it that he is Lord? What is it that he truly is in control? What is it that he, when I've confessed to him and I've had that conversion to him, that I truly have given him everything, that it's his opinion that matters, it's his word that matters, it's his way that matters and we're just followers of him and doing his will and what he's called us to do because we understand what it means that he is Lord and he is master, and he is sir, and we remove the sense of my opinion matters, because your opinion doesn't really matter. His opinion matters. If your opinion lines up with his opinion, then it matters. And man, we are, uh, when that lines up to truth, you realize, man, it's, it's time to be able to battle. It's time to be able to stand firm. It's time to be able to be strong. And just, you know, a little pregame this morning, I've been praying for this church and just praying for the people of this church that you would, that you truly would be, be strong in your faith. Like what's it mean to be a follower of Christ? That you're strong in your faith, that you're a warrior, that you're strong, that you stand firm, that you, that you truly know God, to know him and to follow him and to surrender to him and that you walk in the fullness and the completeness of him and to know that, right? And just really begin to pray that and to understand I'm praying that for the people of this house and the people of this church. And again, I am privileged, truly, truly honored. And it is such a privilege to be the pastor of this house and to lead and to guide this place and to pray over this place and to see God do a work in this place and to see God do a work, a mighty work in you and who you are and what God has called you to. And when you see a deeper knowledge and understanding of him beginning to take place and growing in him, like we, we, I land on Ephesians 6. This isn't the message at all. This is just pregame. Something I've just been praying and looking at even this week for, for the church. And I felt I just need to share it this morning. And it just simply says this. This is you and I being prepared. This is you and I being made ready. This is you and I being strong in our faith. This is you and I and what it means to be sharpened and what it means to be ready. And this is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus in, in chapter 6. You know this well, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. I love that. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. We don't have to fight in our own strength. 
We fight in a strength that, that comes in and through him, his strength in and through us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm. And I love where there is this theme to us as the church, to us as the Christians, the followers of Jesus, the man, there is a battle and we put on armor and we stand firm. And my encouragement to you this morning is to stay in the great game and stand firm and be ready and understand what this looks like over and over and over. Be strong in a strength that is not your own and a might that is his, but be strong and stand firm. Be, be able to discern, okay, here's the work of the enemy. This is a lie from the enemy. No, this is truth. I need to stand firm on truth, and I need to be strong. And I love where Paul is on this for the church, for you and I, to say, come on, be strong. Come on, be ready. Come on, put on the armor. Come on, be strong, not in ourselves, but in him and in his strength, and stand firm, which means be fixed, be established, no wiggle room. No, his opinion matters, and it's the only one that matters. The word is true, and I walk in trust in his word as, as the foundation of truth, the very truth that I follow. And in that church, there's nothing, man, I'm telling you, when you see it all through word, there's nothing, nothing impossible for God. So my encouragement is just praying for this church. You can turn with me to James, please. We'll get into the message. Man, my encouragement is I just pray for you this week is just like this, this sense of stand your ground on truth, no matter what, no matter who, no matter where, stand your ground on truth. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that it is my faith and I'm trusting in him. I believe in Jesus. This is my faith. I'm standing firm. I'm not going to wiggle room. I know the schemes of the devil. I know that he's a liar and I know that he uses people to lie and we're called to stand firm and be strong, not in a, my might, but in his might that gives me the ability to, to be established and to be fixed. So man, I'm praying for you. You're a part of this church that man, you would know God and his plan and his purpose and that you would truly know what it means where the word of God is saying, listen, man, come on, stand firm. Like I think the church needs to be out front. I think the church doesn't take the back seat. The church needs to be out front. The church need to be leading the pack in what it is to be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Come on, amen. amen. Come on, amen. amen. All right, 11 o'clock's got some juice this morning. Here we go, here we go. Looking at the book of James. And I want to just kind of look at this and, and we are going to kind of go through the book of James. I was excited this, this just because kind of put on my heart from the Lord uh, at the end of last year, just praying through 2023, praying for Believer's Chapel, looking at God, what would you have for us at the first half of the first part of 2023 as a church? And last year, we, we spoke a lot about having God's peace and knowing that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Like, I want that peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It will guard my thinker, my, my heart and my mind, that which is I am on the inside and my thinker when I function from a supernatural peace that protects me. Like a lot of last year, we're talking about peace and rest and the, the blessing of that and the guarding of that. Now, man, it, it just started looking at this year in the sense of knowing what it is that Jesus is Lord. And when we have a conversion from unbelief to belief, we have a conversion from Satan's camp to Jesus' camp, 
Team Satan to Team Jesus. When there's been that transfer from darkness to light and we understand Jesus died for me, he is my Savior and he is my Lord, there is this this truth that we have to understand at the beginning of this year is that what it means that he is Lord. And we've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about this to say, you know what, Lord, you are in control. I surrender. I take a knee. I bow. You're in charge. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we understand, God, not my will, but your will be done. This, this is the lordship of Jesus in our lives. I mean, I think that we need to understand what faith on display really looks like. So we get into this, this letter that James writes. We're going to talk about James and who he is. We're going to look to who this letter was written to, the purpose of this letter, why it was written, and how it applies to us. The book of James, maybe, maybe it's, it's many people's favorite book. People love James. It's an action-packed book, man. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action movie. Like, this is what James is. Man, it, it's, it's for those who get up off the couch. It's for those of the Ephesians 6. It's for those who will stand firm. It's for those who will be fixed. It will be those who understand what it is to be strong. It is for the doers of the faith. And the reality is this, is James, the big title for this whole series, this whole book through James is Faith on Display. And if you've been here for a long time, I generally don't just take one letter or one book and, and go verse by verse through that book. I generally don't do that. I try to pray, seek the Lord. Where are we as Believer's Chapel? Where are we as a people? What do we need? I love topical preaching. I love going through Bible and topics and just where we're at to encourage and build and be ready. Like, I love that type of preaching. That's my heart. But I man, I just felt like we had to just go through the book of James, even it might be verse by verse. Or the amazing thing about James, it's more of a topical book. I love, I love Proverbs. You know this. As your pastor, you know me. I love the book of Proverbs. It's God's advice. Man, if you are a reader of Proverbs, that's God's advice. When God gives advice, I think we should do what? Follow it. It makes sense. He created the heavens and the earth, and nothing's impossible with him, and he knows everything, and he knows all things, and he says, do this. I think it's a good idea that we just do this, right? And that makes sense to me. Uh, just take his advice. Hey, I need advice. Great. Here's Proverbs. This is what God says. Like, and when you come to me for advice, I'm like, generally it's Proverbs. Say, hey, God said this. Um, go do that. Like, it's incredible advice because it's God's. And uh, it's great because the letter James is written very similar to Proverbs. It's kind of in a topical order. And, and it gives these nuggets that you can hold on to and say, oh, that that will change my circumstance. That will change in a direction. And it really is a book of action that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to go and do. We are called to go and do. And when you understand that when I say that I'm a man of faith or a woman of faith, that if you're a woman, you'll be a woman of faith, that that faith is called to be on display. There's no such thing as the secret service in Christianity. There's no such thing as those who are on the undercover. We're more of the SWAT team. We're more of the in your face. We're right here banging down the door. Like this is like a true believer is more on the SWAT team than you are on the secret service. Like if you want to dive into what James looks like, it's more of a SWAT team look than it is secret service look. Like that those who are hidden in their faith or I don't want anyone to know, it's just super personal for me and no one needs to know it. That's, that's not what James says. That's not the book of James. The book of James is your faith should be on display. 
right? Your faith should be on display. And this is a book that says, go and do. This is a book that go and says, show your faith by your works. I'm going to show you that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ by how I act and how I do and what I think and what I say and what I do and how I respond to good works. Like this, this is this book. And we're going to dive into this. We're going to unpack James. I honestly couldn't tell you how long it's going to take. I don't know. When I say first half of the year, it might take two months just to get through James. And then after James, we're getting into coming off of this amazing letter. We're coming into the marks of a mature believer. What does it mean if I want to grow in my maturity in my faith? What are some of those marks of a mature believer? We're going to talk about that after we get through James. Might be a bit, but man, I want to get into this. Come on, let's, let's look at this. Come on, let's pray. Church, I hope that you are praying for our our government. I hope that you are praying for our local leaders. I hope that you are praying for our school board leaders. I'm hoping that you are praying for our school teachers that love and know Jesus Christ and are not ashamed of the gospel. And I hope that we really see in this little sliver that we live in, in this whole county, in this area, and in this region, that we see God begin to do a work again to call common sense, common sense. For God to do a work again to define light and darkness. To do God to do a work again for those who will stand up and protect our children today. Like we need to be praying earnestly that we see a drastic change in 2023. And and yeah, I'd love to see it in America, but let's worry about our own backyard because we can make major change right here in our own backyard, whether it's Pennsylvania, whether it's New York, wherever you're at, man, you can make major change right here. So come on, if you would with me, let's just pray. Let's just ask God to do a work in our region. Come on, Father, we thank you for today. And in Jesus' name, we ask that you do a mighty work, a mighty work in this region. Father, we pray for those officials who oversee government. We pray for the county legislators. We pray for city and village officials. We pray, God, for our teachers. We pray, God, for our school board members. God, we are asking that there would be light and not darkness. We're asking that there would be common sense, God, and not negligence. We are asking that, God, we would come back to to a mindset of right and wrong. We'd come back to a mindset of light and dark. And Father, I'm asking that you would move powerfully again in this region. God, you move powerfully again in this region, and we will see many come to know you. We would see many turn from darkness to light. So Father, we ask for wisdom. We ask for common sense. God, we ask for your work to be done in this region, even through those in government, even through those, God, and school boards and teachers. God, that you do a mighty work in this region for our children and protecting their children and protecting our teachers, God, and protecting our first responders, God, and doing a mighty work for them. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, we thank you that we are a piece and a part of that as you've called us to go and do. Lord, I pray that we would be a people here at this church that we would stand firm and we would stand strong and we would be aware. I love this and I thank you for it. And Lord, right now we thank you for this letter. We thank you that your word is alive and powerful. And God, I pray that we would be hungry for your word, that you would speak to us today. God, that we would have eyes to see, we would have ears to hear, and God, our heart would respond to you. God, we will listen to you. We will understand what you're saying today, and God, we will respond to it. Man, if you're in this place this morning, man, if you're just right in this moment, I just ask it in your spirit, you would just say, God, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Holy Spirit, I will respond to you. I will respond to what you say. In Jesus' name, come on. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's go. Let's go. James 1. Let's look at this, man. We're going to look and dive into James. Man, like I said, we're going to, we're going to, 
go through this letter. Man, if you bring your Bibles, please bring your highlighters. I'm a Crayola Twistable guy. I love Crayola Twistables. I think they're the best Bible marker on the market. Bring your, bring your pens, bring your pad of paper. We're going to dive into this and we're going to get through this. Um, but man, I want you to devour this, man. I want you to listen, understand, and respond to that which God says. And this is James 1. It says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. And I love this because when you really see what it means to just take a book and dive into it, right? And, and you have to like for study purpose, like when you're studying scripture, a couple things, you say, okay, who wrote it? Who are they writing it to? Like, how, how does it apply to me? Like who wrote it? Who are they writing to? Why are they writing it? What's the purpose of the letter? And how does it apply to my life here today? Right? We know that the word of God is timeless. We know that it's alive and powerful. So when you're doing Bible study, you go and say, okay, who wrote it? Who do they write it to? What's the purpose of this letter? And how does it apply to me? And church, I have learned one of my things this year truly is, is to, to understand what it means to not be in a rush. I don't want to rush through my preaching, right? That, that, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'm a man that likes to be on the move. I'm a man who likes to go where I'm going and get there yesterday. Like, I'm that guy, right? I want to get there now. Like, I don't want to get there tomorrow. Like, if we're driving somewhere on vacation, it's like, no, we're not stopping for a bathroom. Like, let, let's go. What do you mean you're hungry? Grab PB&J and let's rip. We got to get there. Come on. Like, you should have gone already. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's just me. I don't know if I'm the only dude in the house that's a dude that says, like, let's go. We got to get there. What do you mean? We just left three hours ago. What do you mean you have to go to the bathroom already? Like, what? come on. Like, I'm that guy, right? So honestly, I'm working on that, church. I'm working on what it means to be in not a rush, like, uh, no rush. Sean, you're not in a rush. I've been practicing this as I've been driving, right? I'm like, all right. I get behind the car. I'm like, all right, we're not in a rush. We're good. Sean, you're not in a rush. I don't want to be in a rush going through scripture. I don't want to be in a rush in my time of prayer. I've slowed down that. Just say, okay, let's dive in deep in time of prayer. And uh, I was put to the test this morning. True story, right? Like, I'm up early. I'm going to Tim Hortons, get my morning coffee. And I just, I just do this on Sunday mornings lately. I get my coffee and I just drive around and I pray for specific people in, in specific places and pray for the service and just God anoint this time. But this morning, I get behind it. This is the second week, like, in a row. I'm like, same vehicle. I'm telling you the truth, right? Same vehicle. Like, I get behind this vehicle and I'm like, would you just... We're the only people on the road in Cattaraugus County at this hour. Like, and I have to be behind you. Like, two, two weeks in a row behind the same vehicle. I'm like, are you kidding me? There's nobody else on the road right now except for us. And I happen to be behind you. And you're five miles under the speed limit. Like, bro, there's nobody on the road. You can't hit anything or any, like, no one's existing right now. And I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you, this is just me. This morning, a few hours ago, going, Sean, you're not in a rush. You want to get your coffee? Just go drive around and pray. Like, you got nowhere to go. Like, why are you pushing this guy? I wasn't literally, I wasn't touching him, I'll say that. But I was like, <laughs> this vehicle is a lot bigger than mine, so he wins. But I wasn't pushing him. I wasn't even touching him. I want to say how close I was, but I was just like, I was just like, hold on. What's your thing? What's your, what's your whole thing for this year? Sean, you're not in a rush. Sean, slow it down. And then he pulls into Tim Hortons when I'm pulling into the room. <laughs> and I'm like, of course. 
That's true. And I'm laughing the whole way, going, all right, Lord, I get it. And, um, but I don't want to rush through this letter because it's critical, man. It's so important. And I want to really dive into this and spend some time on the author this morning. And it's funny because, because I do want to, listen, when I'm preaching at 75, I want to be better and better and better. So I go back and I listen to myself preach and I'm like, bro, you got to breathe. Like, what are you doing? Like, like, I know Renee has been telling me that for 20 years, like Sean breathe. Cause we've been preaching a long time, but we started the church in 2009, but we were preaching before that. And she's like, dude, you need to, you need to breathe. You need to breathe when you talk and when you preach. And I'm listening now 29 years into the marriage and I'm now listening to my wife. It's amazing. Prayers are being answered, Renee. Your prayers are being answered. But I do, I go back and I, I, I listen and I'm like, dude, listen and slow it down, right? Slow down. And um, because I'm not in a rush. Sometimes I have so much to say. And a good friend of mine says, Sean, you preach from the overflow. And that's, that's a, the Holy Spirit place to preach from. Like you prepare, you prepare, you prepare, and then you just, then you just let it rip and you preach from the overflow. And that's a dear friend of mine who says that, which is a super compliment. But then I go back and listen. I'm like, dude, you need to just, you have so much, you got to just slow it down. And that's what I want to do for, for this and for this letter. And just to really dive into this and take our time. Because I want you to get everything we can possibly get out of this letter. Because it is going to motivate us and it's going to move us. To be doers of the word. To be able to stand firm. And, and, and understand what it is to go through a trial or a test or to be tempted. Like next week we'll get into those three T's. The trial, the test, and the temptation. That, that you guys, you understand this. Ladies, you understand this. That when, when, you, when you are cutting something with a knife, if it's dull, the way to sharpen that knife is to take out something that's sandpaper-like or a knife, something that is made and created to sharpen a knife. It's not a smooth surface. It is this rough, crazy surface that you use to sharpen a knife so the knife works properly. And that's, that's what it means to go through a trial, a test, or even being tempted. That that is that edge, and that is what is sharpening us to be able to serve our mighty God. So when, when you see this, man, we're going to get into some things next week. I don't want you to miss this, man. Don't miss this next week. Get into this and we understand what it means. Why do I have to go through trials? And I will. Why is it that I'm being tested? And I will. Why does temptation come? Because it does. And the beautiful benefit of all three and to know how to overcome and to know the beautiful result of it causes you to endure. And that just sharpens and sharpens and it sharpens and makes you this very useful tool. It's beautiful. Come on, let's look at this. Verse 1, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant. I mean, James says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, this is who he's writing to, who are dispersed, who are everywhere, abroad. And this is what he says. So let's look at this. Like, first of all, who's writing this? Who's James? Like, we know this to be true about James. The author of this letter is James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, right? We've got to understand this. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Could you put up Matthew 13, 55, please? We're going to go through several verses. We're going to look at James. We're going to look at who James was, where he was with Jesus. And is this, is not this the carpenter's son speaking about Jesus? 
is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Like these are the brothers. It also goes on to say that he had sisters. So we know that Jesus had brothers and Jesus had sisters. And we know that this letter, as well as the book of Jude, which is the second to last book of the New Testament, the book of Jude also was written by Jesus' half-brother, who is Judas, right? Not, not the evil Judas, not the betrayer Judas, but Jude, who is Jesus', Jesus half-brother. So when you see this, I love where you have to begin to unpack this a little bit and you got to begin to see where there, there is a religion that teaches that Mary was just virgin forever. She never ever knew a man and any, anywhere in scripture where it talks about Jesus having brothers or sisters, that just meant that Joseph either was married beforehand or screwed around afterhand. And all of that is nonsense, right? We know that Joseph married the Virgin Mary kept her a virgin until she gave birth with Jesus, and then they lived a natural, normal, beautiful husband and wife sexual relationship in marriage, and they had sons and they had daughters, and Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. And this is James. And could you imagine being the half-brother and growing up with Jesus? Like, could you, could you imagine where, you got to understand something, like it didn't click with James that Jesus was all that special. It somehow didn't click with the brothers. It somehow didn't click that the firstborn Jesus, there's something crazy special about that. Like, it, di it didn't really click with them. They must have seen something. You, you, you've got to think this. Like, for 30 years, before Jesus started doing miracles and before Jesus started proclaiming to be the Christ, before Jesus, like, they, he just lived a life as a carpenter. He lived under the same roof. They slept probably in the same bedroom in a small house. They understood how Jesus ate. Like, it was just Jesus. He was just Jesus. But in this just Jesus, Jesus never sinned. He was perfectly innocent. Jesus never got a spanking. Like he was, I don't want to say I was like Jesus in any way, but there was two old, I had an older brother and a younger brother. They got all the spankings. I was Christ-like at a young age, you know. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that, that was Jesus where he never disobeyed because that would be sin. He was never disrespectful, because that would be sin. He, he, watch this. He never had a bad attitude. He never had tone. But his brothers and sisters just didn't get it. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. Jesus wasn't filling the tub, walking on water. Like, that's not what Jesus, he didn't do that, right? But we know that he was different. Because all of the brothers, James included, and the sisters, they were all sinners by birth and walked in sinful ways and probably didn't tell the truth all the time and probably had an attitude and probably at times were disobedient or at times were self-centered. Could you imagine being Jesus' brother? But they didn't get it. What happens to know they just didn't get it. Turn with me, keep your finger in James, please, and turn with me to the book of John, please. John chapter 7. And John chapter 7, this is a time now that Jesus has now been in ministry. 
Jesus is now proving himself to be the Messiah. Jesus now is speaking like no one has ever spoke before. Jesus is speaking with such authority that no one's ever spoke with such authority before. Jesus is now in a place to do miracle after miracle after miracle. People are being healed. He's feeding 5,000. He's already walked on the water. Now Jesus has this huge following. Right? There are many who are trying to crowd around Jesus and come around Jesus. And Jesus has these people that are just crowding in on Jesus. And there's James, the brothers and the sisters going, what is going on with this? Who is this guy? Is this not just the carpenter's son? Is this not Mary and his brothers? And it says, this not just, because so you could imagine that at this point in John 7, Jesus is making a name for himself. Jesus is now becoming renowned. Jesus is now becoming famous as that guy. His teaching above anything we've ever heard. Miracles like we've never seen. People following him like they've never followed someone. And here's his family. The Bible says they call him a lunatic. Jesus comes to his own hometown. And they're like, you know what, bro? You, you got to leave. You got to go. The Bible says they call him crazy. Is this not just Jesus? We ate together. We laughed together, we worked together, we slept in the same room, probably the same house, if not the same room, all packed together like they didn't have a lot of money, we know that. Like, isn't this just our brother? Who do you think you are? All these people following you, pressing in on you. You say something, all of a sudden, blind eyes are being healed. You feed 5,000 people out of almost nothing, like... Walking on water, really? I've known you for 30 years and didn't see any of it. And you see where James just didn't believe. And this is stunning in John chapter 7. It says this, And after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. He has now gained such a reputation of being this leader and, and leading people away from rules and regulations, but to, to begin to train them to follow hard after him, to love him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then people, people were falling away from the pharisaical way and the elders and the Pharisees and the scribes, they hated Jesus, right? And Jesus knew, okay, they're planning and they're conniving that if I go into Judea, they're gonna try to kill me. Jesus knew that, right? Jesus knew that. So here he says, I'm going through Galilee because I'm not going to go into Judea because they're going to kill me there. And now, now look at verse two. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore his brother said to him, okay, Jesus knows, people do know, okay, they're trying to kill Jesus. The Pharisees, not a fan of Jesus, right? Scribes, not a fan of Jesus. The elders, not a fan of Jesus. Sanhedrin, want to kill him, right? And people know this. They're in Judea. Jesus like, I can't go to Judea because they're trying to kill me. Watch what his brothers say. This is crazy, right? Look at verse three. Therefore, his brother said to him, leave here and go into Judea. They're, they want to kill me there. They want to kill me there. 
Yeah, we know. <laughs> you should go to Judea. Church, they just didn't get it. Therefore, his brother said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Like here, they're, now they're starting to get a little mouthy with Jesus, going, hey, if you want to be so famous, why don't you go back into public? Go, go into Judea where all the disciples are and go, go show off to them. Go show off publicly to them. Yeah, we know they want to kill you there. But you want to put on a show? Do it there. We don't want it here. This is the sense of their statement. And verse 5 says this, for not even his brothers were believing in him. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So you, you, you see where James lived and breathed with Jesus, his brother, for 30 years. And, and nothing was clicking. Yeah, he was different. Yeah, he was innocent and he was perfect. Jesus never did a wrong. And then all the miracles and all the teachings and all the people following, the walking on water, the feeding 5,000, like again and again and again and again, and they're like, yo, bro, you want to put on a show? You need to go into Judea and do it publicly. We don't want you here. This is truly where James was. Back to, back to the book of James, please. So what happened where James comes to this statement in, in verse one, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So th there had to be, watch this church, there had to be this conversion moment. There had to be this eye-opening moment that James went from a non-believer. He's just Jesus. He's just my brother. Yeah, he's done some things. I don't know how he did it. I'm not gonna admit that that means that he's, he's the Christ or the Messiah. Like that was already being proclaimed. Like Jesus was already being proclaimed even by the apostles and by the disciples. Where are we going to go? That's just John 6. Where are we going to go? If we have come to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, like we know who you are. Even his own brother James is like, nah, I don't believe it. So what took place? And you see at the cross, you see where his mother Mary and you see the crowds pressing in and you see what's happening. You could imagine church. You could imagine that his brothers were there going, okay, this is, this is getting real. Well, that's, that's my brother up on that cross. If I didn't know him as my brother, I wouldn't be able to recognize him as a man. My church, what happens When you're looking at your brother hanging on a cross and if you didn't know him as your brother, you wouldn't recognize him as a man. It's so telling the separation of Jesus and his brothers that one of the statements on the cross when his mother's at the foot of the cross 
and he's got his, 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 one of his best friends, John, who's the apostle, standing at the foot of the cross. He looks down to John, knowing that he's about to breathe his last, and he says, John, would you take care of my mom? Like, it just shows such honor and such respect from a son who's in his 30s to his mother. It didn't go to Joseph because Joseph was gone. Joseph was deceased. It should have gone to the firstborn. Firstborn's on the cross. That responsibility of taking care of mom should have gone to the secondborn male. But Jesus, in the separation of where his family was to him, amazing. Firstborn responsibility gives it then over to his best friend, John. John, he didn't even give it to James. He didn't give it to Joseph. He didn't give it to Judah. He didn't give it to Simon. He gave it to John, who's non-related. Not John the Baptist, his cousin, John the Apostle. Non-related. That shows the distance between Jesus and his brothers. This is huge. So what was it? What it could possibly have been that James writes this, James, bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere do you see in James' writing that he ever mentions the claim that he's Jesus' brother. He doesn't have a feather in his cap. He doesn't have the one-up to everyone else. He never even mentions that Jesus, man, he's my half. He's my step. He's my brother. He, he never even makes claim to that. Something took place that he went from non-belief in the sense of what it means to have a conversion over to Jesus Christ as Lord, not as brother. And you see it in 1 Corinthians 15. If you could put that up, please. Church, I want you to see this because this is where we all should be from that place of unbelief to that place of conversion, from that place that, that just possibly James hears his, his half-brother on a cross that gives up his spirit, bows his head, and he sees him die on a cross. He sees his spear going to his side, and he understands my brother is now dead, and then all of a sudden, this is after the resurrection. You gotta see this, right? This is after the resurrection. Jesus has already been resurrected. Jesus has already appeared to many. Jesus has already appeared to the disciples. He's already appeared to the 500. But he does something particular here in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then he appeared to James. Then, after he's made all these other appearances, I gotta see James. And we know that he made special appearances to two on the road. We know that he made special appearances to the disciples. We know that he made several different appearances to the disciples. We know that he, he saw 500, like it's a, it's a recorded event that this one who was dead has been resurrected from the dead. But in all of the crazy, in all of what is happening, in all of the talk, you could imagine this scene for 40 days. And then he appeared to James. Church, what was that like? Like this is a real encounter. This is a very real conversation. We, we don't have the depth of this conversation. We know that Jesus sought out James. Maybe James has already heard, probably already heard, hey, Jesus, the one on the cross, yeah, he was raised from the dead. He's been seen all over. He's been seen. Someone said they saw him. Man, he talked to 500 and he just go down the list and James is probably like, yeah, I know. I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard. I know, I know, I heard. Okay, I heard. 
but he's just my brother. And then Jesus appears to James. I don't know what that conversation was. Jesus with his holes in his hands. James, come on, man. I love this because Jesus, who is God, who truly knows all things. James, I got a need for you. James, there's a plan for you. James, I need you to lead the church. James, I need you to lead the Jerusalem church. I need you, James. I need you in this. Walking with James like, James, it's me. It's me. I know you didn't get it at first. I know you didn't understand. I know that maybe it was just the familiarity with me. Maybe as we saw you every day, 12 hours a day or more, we were just together. Maybe it was just you being so familiar with me. Like nobody else could be that familiar with me except my family. James, I get it. But I need you. I need you to lead the church. James became the, the overseer of the whole Jerusalem church. Something happened in that conversation that Jesus went from brother to Lord. James went from a non-believer. Nope. Man, I think you should just go. You want to put on a show? Jesus, go where they want to kill you. Put on a show all you want. We think you're crazy. He went from that to my Lord, Jesus Christ. He went from non-believer to you have full control. I surrender to you. You're, I get it. I get it. I get it. I see you for who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Church, what does that conversion really look like? What does your conversion, yourself, look like? What is it that you went from Team Satan and now you, you're on Team Jesus? What, what is it that you went from this place of having no understanding of truth to this place and now you live and die for truth? That you understood, man, I once was under the realm of darkness, but now I've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is light. Like, what does that conversion look for you? Church, we've lived in a time, not here at BC, we've always been firm on the gospel. It is repent and believe. It is a life that has changed. It is out of darkness and it is into light because of his marvelous love. It is amazing. It is amazing to know, man, it is the wages of sin equals death. I get that, man. I deserve death. Had it not been for God loving me that he would send his only begotten son to die on the cross for me, that he paid the price for me and dealt with my sin so I have everlasting eternal life and how beautiful that is. But it's that conversion to know. Church, we don't preach weak faith here. We're not lollipops and gumdrops. We're not the ones who think everything's just going to be fine and easy. That's not this. 
We're not the pray a prayer and you receive a candy bar type of deal. How many people prayed a prayer because they were getting a Snickers and had no deep understanding of my sin was dealt with on a cross and I need to repent and believe in Jesus. And when I do that, my life is forever changed because I have now been converted. James went from non-believer so much so that he's like, you're crazy. To such, such a beautiful conversion. They didn't see him at his half-brother. They saw him for who he really was and for who he really is. He is Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. And Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And should you see where James was, was so converted that you see him in the upper room. You see him in Acts 1.14. He's in the upper room and he's praying. You see Paul write about him in Galatians 2, chapter 9. Paul writes about him and says James is one of the pillars. Like, like the church is standing up on James. James is one of the pillars here in the Jerusalem church. And man, when you see whom this letter is addressed to, to the saints who are been scattered or abroad. Because when you understand what happened in Acts, you see what happened in Acts chapter 7 going into Acts chapter 8, you've got this amazing event that took place where the, the church began to get heavily persecuted in Acts 7 and 8. So much so that one of the head deacons, one of Stephen, who was called to be an apostle and a deacon, here you got Stephen, he, he was strong and he was unashamed and he was bold and he began to preach truth so much so that they, the, the, the leadership hated him because he gave a history lesson so much so that they put on a big show and they stripped him and they stoned him and they killed him. And the church knew this. The church then was under heavy persecution and it caused the Christians of all through Jerusalem to be scattered. So here you see that James is writing this to a scattered church. To a church that's gone through persecution. And to husbands and wives who have lost their children. It was a deep persecuted time. Take your husband, take your wife, take your children, take your house. All with a piece of paper from the government. And it caused them all to be scattered. And here you've got, you've got James, who has such a conversion to out from a place of unbelief and just, he's just my brother. To a place where Jesus appears to him after the resurrection and has whatever conversation he has with him that then convinced him, convinced him, convinced him that he is Lord. When you are convinced and when you are persuaded, let nothing doubt that. James was convinced 
James was persuaded so much so that he led this church to Jerusalem, had so much hate. 8062, it is recorded that he was stoned to death for his belief in Jesus as Lord. He was stoned to death for continuing to preach the gospel of repent and believe, continuing to preach that Jesus is the answer to sin, so much so that he gave his life for his Lord, not for his brother, but for his Lord. That's conversion. That's conversion. Church, what is your conversion story? What is your conversion story? Come on, if you just bow your heads just for a moment, please. Are you truly born again? Have you gone from hearing about the Bible or hearing Jesus' name or, oh, it's just a church thing or that's just not my game, that's not my story? Have you, have you gone from that place of non-belief to be converted that he is now Lord and he is master and he is sir and I am surrendered and I am his. Oh, let his will be done and not my will. Like that, that conversion where he is now master and sir. That if you confessed and not for a candy bar and not through a simple little prayer and then you just go on and live any way you want to. No, this is faith. True faith is on display. True faith is seen and known. Are you part of the secret service of faith? No one really knows. It's a big secret. Are we converted to that boldness and converted to being strong and being able to stand firm and not be ashamed? Maybe you're in this place this morning and maybe it's your first time here and maybe you've just been checking us out for even a, a couple months, a couple weeks. Started something new for 23 and you're just like, I really don't know where I'm at in eternity. I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I'm not really a church person. Let me just give you this simple. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. that he was willing to send his only begotten son to die on a cross for you. To pay for the penalty of sin, which all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of sin, we all fall short. Nobody, nobody is good enough for heaven. And when you realize, man, I know that I'm a sinner. And the only fix to that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on a cross for me. He took my place. I deserve death because sin equals death. I deserve that. But it was because of his favor and because of his grace that he loved me and gave me something that I didn't earn and I didn't deserve, that Jesus died for me. Where are you in this today? Jesus just simply said, repent and believe. John the Baptist says, repent and believe. Peter says, repent and believe. We need to repent from our sin and acknowledge sin equals death and believe that Jesus, you're the answer. Jesus, you died for me. 
You put yourself on a cross and you died in my place so I never have to. Because I understand that, I surrender to you. I want to walk in conversion today. I want to know what it is that you are my Lord and I surrender to you. Man, if you're in this place today and you truly want to know Christ as Lord and Savior and you want to come to a deep understanding of who he is and you know, you get it, man, you get it. The Spirit of God is just dealing with you even in this moment and I do believe this. Man, just everyone just bow your heads, please. And just if you're in this place and you really know Man, I am not a born-again believer or follower of Jesus, but I need to be. He's calling me to be saved today. And I just ask that you would just simply say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I change my mind towards sin. I repent. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. And in this moment, I confess that you are Lord. I give it all over to you. And I surrender. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. God, thank you for forgiving me. Let your will be done in my life. I wonder if we could stand to our feet, please. Let's close out. As you're standing, James 1 says this, James, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We will cover these next week. But it's so important to know who wrote it, why he wrote it, who he wrote it to. And, and the beautiful picture of that conversion story from brother to believer, that he is now my Lord, Christ Jesus. Well, if you need prayer for any reason, or you truly are like, today was my day for Jesus, me and Jesus today. We want to pray with you. Man, if you have a prayer concern in any reason, man, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to agree with you. We'll have people up front that would love to pray with you. If you want to talk more about Jesus, we'd love to talk about Jesus. We'd love to talk about Jesus. If you really are one, like say, today is my day, man. I give my life to Christ today. Come up and talk to somebody. They'd love to encourage you in that, build you in that. Be consistent. Be consistent through this teaching, please. Be consistent through this letter as we get into this and you will see something take place within your spirit of, ah, there's a charge in this, church. There's a charge in this letter. And I want there to be a charge within this body here at Believer's Chapel. Man, what a blessing. Lord, we love you. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' precious name. Come on, as we close it out, man, let's come up if you need prayer for any reason. Come